Welcome to God's Truth. I'm Dr. D. Todd Harrison. As we continue to feast upon the words of Jesus Christ as taught in the Holy Scriptures. This year we have the great opportunity, the great joy to study the New Testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To study his life, his teachings, his actions, his healings. All these wonderful things that Jesus did when he lived upon the earth in his days nearly 2,000 years ago. And of that same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of our Heavenly Father, clothed in glory and majesty and power. And let all the angels and all mankind shout hallelujah to the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And let's look here at that mighty story today about the, the baptism of Jesus Christ by his cousin John the Baptist. What a mighty wonderful preacher that John the Baptist. They say that all the people were getting converted and getting baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus Christ called him the greatest prophet who ever lived. So powerful and mighty was he in testimony and preaching the word of God they had the leaders coming out from Jerusalem to see him. He had all kinds of people coming out to be baptized by him unto repentance and forgiveness of sins. Let's look now and we'll look at the Mark and we'll look at Matthew and the Luke. Uh, keep in mind what we talked about uh, before, that Mark is the earliest gospel written around 70 AD. According to Christian tradition, he, well, he got his material, his information here from Peter. Uh, one of the chief uh, apostles, uh, uh, one of the inner circle of the three that were with Jesus in many occasions where Jesus separated three additional, uh, uh, three out of the 12 uh, to follow him to some of the more significant and some of the more miraculous and some more spiritual experiences in the life of Jesus Christ. So he was well acquainted with Jesus. And so according to Christian tradition, Mark got his information from, from, uh, from Peter. And then uh, Matthew, written later on, about 85 A.D., 15 years later. And Luke, written 90 A.D. Now, uh, uh, and then John 100. Last week, we looked a little bit about a baptism in 100 A.D. as taught by John. We're going to get more details of what really happened here in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And including, we're back with our UFOs, right? <laughs> we started seeing this last year uh, all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we, it's been 400 years since Malachi. <laughs> Here they come back. Whatever this thing is that God's flying around in the heavens, he's going to be attending Jesus' baptism in such, a, in such an aerial vehicle or whatever you want to call it, right? So let's look here today at... Uh, uh, Mark, and we'll start with Mark chapter 1, the earliest gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his whole ministry here is going to preach. He wants Mark is saying, you know, I'm going to prove to you that he's the Son of God, and we testify of such doctrine and such theology throughout all the world this day that Jesus Christ indeed was the Son of God crucified from the beginning of the world. It was our Father's intention, Heavenly Father's plan, uh, the plan of the great God to send Jesus forth at the time that he did to die for the sins of the world, 
Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. So proclaimed his cousin John the Baptist. And that's what Mark is going to show here, that Jesus is the Son of God. It says in verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, so the prophetic books of the Old Testament, not the five books of Moses, that's the law or Torah or Pentateuch. I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So quoting here coming up Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 43. Uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, John the Baptist prophesied of in the Old Testament that he'd be the one crying in the wilderness in the desert. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea. He preached the word of God. He was not concerned with being politically correct. He was more concerned with teaching the true, unadulterated word of God. And they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. That was the prerequisite for baptism. You confess your sins, then you get washed, your sins washed away through the waters of baptism. And also by symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ coming out of the water. And that's what we still celebrate and the same symbolism today. 2,000 years later than it was here in the days of Jesus. And many of you are not yet been baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. We'll give you that opportunity at the end of this video to reach out to the missionaries of this church and to be baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts, kind of like grasshoppers and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There come one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Right? He bore testimony from the very beginning. He did not want glory taken upon himself. He was there to preach Jesus Christ today in today's church and today's world and in other churches as well. What happens oftentimes with the church leaders and the pastors? What do they want to do? They don't want to preach Jesus Christ fully, right? They preach the, you know, to a degree Jesus Christ, but they're out to make themselves some sort of hero and so forth. So instead of preaching Jesus Christ, what do they do? Well, they preach themselves, right? They tell all these great, wonderful stories that happen in their life. Oftentimes, we've seen some who've been caught that their the stories that they're telling weren't even true. But they were out to preach themselves rather than Jesus Christ and make themselves look good by telling personal stories and make themselves out to be a hero. No. How did John baptize the all of the known world in, in the you know in the in the land of Judea, you know, the, the, as far as they could walk around? How were they all coming out? Because he was not there to preach John the Baptist. He was not there to tell good stories about himself, make him appear to be some hero, make him be a larger than life. He was there to preach Jesus Christ, and he made it very clear, very known. One is coming after him, that he's not even worthy to untie or tie his shoes. He will be the true Messiah.
He says in verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. Now, we don't have the dialogue here, which we'll get from Matthew. So Matthew, that's only found in Matthew, not in Mark or Luke. So that's the Gospel of M or, or M for the Matthean material. Yeah, he probably learned that directly from Jesus Christ. He says, and uh, so he gets baptized. And in verse 10, and straightaway coming up out of the water, he saw John. John saw the heavens open, right? And the spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. <laughs> there we go, right? There we go. Woo. So the spirit, right? You're not going to really see the spirit uh, descend like a and descend like a dove, right? John's out there. He sees doves, right, flying around, landing, taking off. So he doesn't know how to describe whatever this thing is, right? It's back, right? This is, we had it all throughout the Old Testament. We have it here in the New Testament. Whatever this aerial vehicle is, it's a physical thing. Luke's going to describe it and say it was in body form, right? It's not a spirit, right? They wouldn't be able to probably see the spirit of the Holy Ghost. And no, there's no record of any prophet in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine comes, whoever saw the Holy Ghost, right, a personage of spirit, right? This was a physical object. John saw a physical object. He doesn't have the vocabulary that we have today. He doesn't know rocket ship, spaceship, UFO, airplane, helicopter. He doesn't have any of that terminology, right? All he can do is describe, well, it was the, you know, I saw the Spirit of God come down and descend uh, upon Jesus. Now, we know the Holy Ghost doesn't descend upon people flying like a dove in a body form, right? We know that you give the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. Once again, by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. This is not Jesus receiving the Holy Ghost, having a flying down in body form, as Luke says, and descend upon Jesus, right? What happens after this, right? Well, Jesus is going to go up into this thing, and it's going to fly him off and to the wilderness, wherever that is, for 40 days where he's going to be tempted by uh, by Satan and, and fast, uh, you know, and then fast, spend time praying God, being tempted by Satan for 40 days, right? So it's, something, it's an aerial vehicle, just like Elijah went on an aerial vehicle up to heaven, just like Ezekiel saw the, the spaceship uh, uh, land, saw those a, uh, alien-like beings run around, get back in, fly off. Then Jesus Christ came flying on his spaceship, took Ezekiel up, flew him off to the river, Chabar, dropped him off there. And he said, oh, I was shocked for seven days after that. <laughs> Probably be shocking enough to kill most people, give a panic attack, heart attack, you know, whatever. This is the same thing we keep seeing. You know, we see it in the numbers uh, 12, right, where the – cloud right it's often described as a cloud or a chariot you know there's the, the cloud he flies down on the cloud lands in front of the tabernacle the tent right then speaks to moses aaron and miriam then he flies back off into the cloud after he raises he rises from the dead they're going to be on the uh, on the you know on the top of the mountain there in jerusalem and they're going to see him go up into the cloud and fly off in the cloud and the angels are going to tell him you man of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? That same Jesus you just saw get up into the cloud and fly off. Well, one day come flying back in the cloud and land uh, once again on the Mount of Olives when it's going to split in half and the people are going to come up 
Oh, you came to save us finally as we have all the nations fighting against us, you know, and they'll say, but wait a minute, what are those wounds in your hands and in your feet? And then I will say to them, these are the wounds I received in the house of my friends. I am Jesus Christ that was born. I'm Jesus Christ that was lifted up. I was crucified. I am the son of God. And then they will weep and mourn for they persecuted and killed their Messiah and their king. Okay, so we get this uh, uh, vehicle here that's all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. We're told in uh, Psalm 68, 17, that, G that God has 20,000 of these, right? So these, these aerial vehicles that they use to transport and fly around, they've got 20,000. Now, that was 3,000 years ago. So think about this, right? We don't know if they keep building them or what. Maybe they have a lot more than 20,000 now. So in the book of Revelation, when they're talking about Jesus and the angel are going to come back riding their horses, <laughs> well, again, they're... They're with limited vocabulary, folks. They're not really going to be flying around, coming into heaven with, you know, riding actual horses and then actually trampling over the wicked. They're coming back in these 20,000 uh, chariots, uh, you know, their clouds, uh, these, the objects, these flying things are going to come back on these and start shooting fire, as other scriptures talk about, you know, bombs and so forth, killing the, the wicked. That's what's really going on here. Okay, so now we also notice it's interesting because as we look at uh, 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 the JST even, Joseph had a chance to change it. He didn't, right? He did not change it. And again, he was dealing with limited vocabulary even as recently as the 1830s, right? They don't have the terminology of, you know, airships and spaceships and all these kinds of uh, things, right? So but he he kept it here. He could have edited it differently, right? But he left it in here because it's true, and that's what's going on here. It's all the way through, Old Testament, New Testament. There's literally hundreds. When you start looking for this stuff as you read the scripture, there's literally hundreds of references to these 20,000 uh, uh, ships that they've got. Okay, so then he says here, and there came a voice from heaven. Now, keep in uh, Mind the word heaven and 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 uh, the skies is the same word in the original, you know, underlying Aramaic and, and Hebrew languages. So what he's got here is there came a voice, not actually from some far out distant heaven place, maybe way past Jupiter. Who knows where that you know is, uh, you know, or maybe is another dimension here on the earth. But he's not hearing it actually coming out of heaven. What it'd be better to translate this. Uh, it came a voice from the skies, right? And there came a voice from the skies. In other words, where this ship is coming down like a dove to take Jesus up. He hears up in there, up in that area, he hears the voice of God, right? He hears the voice of God uh, from the, the skies saying, Thou art my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. And what a wonderful story this is here. Every time the father has ever appeared, what does he do? He always points to his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him, right? What a wonderful thing here. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness, driveth him into the wilderness and picks him up, drives Jesus off into the wilderness. Not some spirit. The spirit can't, <laughs> spirit can't pick up 
physical objects, the spirit, the, the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost would not be able to pick up Jesus and take him off to the wilderness, right? It's, you know, it's a physical object here that's driving Jesus. Jesus goes into it, flies off into the wilderness. I know for some of you who've never heard this before, but you know, it's, it may sound, it may sound, you know, you've never heard this before. And I, and I feel ashamed that that your pastors and this stuff, the few who are educated and intelligent enough in biblical uh, studies that they know what's going on here, then they lie to you or they cover it up and they don't teach you God's truth. Here it is. The whole show is God's truth. We are going to teach God's truth, right? It's time that we do that so you don't be deceived in the latter days. We know that Satan, the enemy of God, the enemy of all righteousness, what does he do? He always fights and imitates God's plan, right? So if God's got 20,000 of these airships, what do you think Satan has, right? Satan has his own ships, right? And that's why when you it's when you look at these UFO abduction cases and so forth, right? You don't know, you know, when, when you start reading them, you know that in a lot of those cases, the ones are being abducted. These are not angels from God flying these ships, right? These are people associated with Satan, right? Whether they're these grays or the uh, robots, some have been described as the robotic, the way they move and so forth. Now, we know Satan doesn't have a body, but, you know, he might have been creating things that can fly around in these things. So don't be deceived, right? The angels of God will bring you to God. They bear testimony of God. They, and and if you ever do face a situation in one of these several thousands of cases now with uh, these alien abductions and so forth, you know, just know that they hearken and they have to listen and they have to obey the voice of God and the authority of the name Jesus Christ. There's many reports that where a faithful Christian have been abducted by these things. And what did they do? They command them in the name of Jesus Christ to leave them alone. And they have to do it. And they leave them alone. So if you ever, in the, I, I wish that none of you ever have that experience. But if you ever do, find yourself, always know the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Even you don't have the priesthood. If you're a woman, if you're not even a member of the church, you still have the power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And when if you have a bad experience of one of these things, you command it in the name of Jesus Christ to depart and leave you alone. And they will hearken to that. They have no choice. They will have to leave you alone. Now, the more stronger ones that are gonna that might fight you even harder, you might have to use the name of Jesus Christ to command them to depart a couple of different times. We've seen that Jesus had to do that. We saw that Moses had to do that in a couple of cases, right? So the stronger ones, you just keep commanding it in the name of Jesus Christ to leave you alone. They do have to leave you alone. So it might not, they might still fight and try to fight about it, but you keep commanding it in the name of Jesus Christ to leave you alone and depart from you. And God, and, and you will be saved under the authority of the holy name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so don't be deceived, right? All right, so let's go on here. And um, okay, so the voice comes out immediately. Spirit drives them to, into the wilderness. 
And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so it is in the church today, right? There's people who, who, who've been foreordained to be a bishop, to be a stake president, be a Relief Society president, either on the ward or the stake level, you know, and many other callings in the church. And in a lot of cases, those people could take over right now. And with God's help, they could be a faithful bishop or stake president or general authority or apostle or, you know, prophet or these types of things. But there's this uh, uh, law in the kingdom of God about giving people opportunities and giving people uh, time frames in which they have their service. So, you know, where you have a bishop for five years, maybe the next bishop's ready to be the bishop, right? But he's going to wait for the five years for that the bishop to be released before he comes over, right? Probably a lot of just multiple people could probably uh, come in and fill a position in the quorum of the 12 apostles. But God has appointed them for life. You have to wait till they die off. Then God can, you know, help bring a pass uh, these kinds of uh, things, right? So um, here it is with Jesus, right? John was to come to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ to preach, prepare the people. Jesus did not begin his ministry until when? John was done with his ministry, released from being, you know, essentially the bishop, right? And in prison. Then Jesus came preaching, right? So Jesus obeyed that that rule. He could have kept going from, you know, 12 years old. We saw last week, right? 12 years old, teaching the Jewish rabbis and leaders in the temple. Obviously, he could have gone out preaching the, you know, on a ministry from, from that point. But no, he waited his turn. He knew there were other people that had been called in the meantime. He waited his turn. Once John was relieved of his position, his calling in the church, then Jesus took over. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. It's now, now, now it's time, right? It wasn't that way a week ago. It wasn't that way a month ago, right? It wasn't that way a year ago. But now that John's in prison, John's been released from being the prophet of the Lord. I, Jesus Christ, the very son of God, I'm stepping into that role now. Now is the kingdom of God at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What was John preaching? Repent, Jesus Christ, repent, right? The same message, never changes. You have different characters that act as the apostles and prophets and teachers and, and the bishops and all these things uh, uh, throughout history, but they are to preach the same word of God, repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we command you in the name of Jesus Christ, the same way that Jesus did to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come into it. Those of you who are not yet members of the church, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come unto Jesus Christ. Be baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God. 16. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew, Simon being Peter here and Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become not fishers anymore of fish, but fishers of men. You will be, I will train you. I will teach you. I will make you mighty 
prophets of God, mighty apostles, mighty preachers. We see that as soon as Jesus died, Peter goes in the temple, preaches a message, and something like three or 5,000 people get baptized in the same day. Jesus fulfilling that promise here, you come with me, I will make you a fisher of men, and he certainly did that. And straight away they forsook their nets and followed him. And so it must be with all of us. The moment we hear Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached, we need to be willing to leave all behind us, come into the missionaries of the church, let them teach us the basic doctrines of the church and be baptized members of his church and kingdom, just like Simon, Peter, and Andrew did. So should we. What great examples they were for all of us. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also were in the ship mending their nets, because they were also fishers, right? And straight away he called them, and they left their father Zebedee. Now watch this. They left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him, right? Again, we hear this false doctrine from time to time, just like we hear that Jesus was this poor carpenter, right? We've, we've looked at that, and we'll look at that a lot more times as well. He was no poor carpenter, right? And just as we hear, oh, the apostles, the 12 apostles were poor fishermen. Doesn't sound, You're not poor if you have hired servants in the plural, right? James and John here have a fishing business. They're successful enough not only to support themselves and their family, but they've actually hired employees in the plural, hired servants in the plural. Therefore, they're able to leave their father uh, you know, in charge of the business, is probably his business, uh, leave his father and in, 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 in leave their father in charge of the business with their hired servants, and there's going to be no harm to their family, right? They don't need to worry about their family. You know, whether they're going to be able to have something to eat or not, because they have this fishing business going on, right? These were not poor fishermen. These were these were rich, successful businessmen in the fishing industry, just like Jesus was a rich carpenter in the carpentry business that they owned. And all the people in Nazareth knew them, right? This is the carpenter's son, the carpenter, the one that hires a lot of us, right? Not one of the many, many that are walking there off to Sepphoris to, to help build the city Sepphoris and other villages there. They would not know them, right? There's too many of those guys, right? They know his father because his father is employed, probably most of them at some point of, of time. They probably all worked for him at some point, right? These were rich. They got gold from the Magi in, in the, in the, when we saw it, the infancy narratives of Jesus. They got gold fit for not one bar. They didn't walk two weeks from Babylon to get, oh, here, Jesus, here's a here's a bar of gold. I hope that's going to help you out since we're crowning you as the king, since we know you're God's king on the earth here. We're going to give you one single gold bar. They gave him a gold fit for a king. They used this gold to build a carpentry business. They were rich. They were successful. God's not going to put a poor uh, son of God here, you know, the, the poor, humble, no money at all, and hope that somehow he'll still manage to uh, get the right schooling, be educated by by the right uh, Jewish rabbi so that he could 
learn and know the Old Testament well enough he could preach it and teach the Jewish rabbis in Jerusalem at age 12. He must have had some really great teacher that was raised up in Galilee, in the Galilee area in Nazareth who taught Jesus and helped him learn this stuff so that he was as well taught and well trained as the scholars in Jerusalem, right? And it, that wasn't cheap, right? <laughs> you know, in the ancient days, the rich people could hire tutors, right? You could hire Aristotle or Socrates to be your son's tutor if you were rich enough, right? Jesus had well educated, really uh, intelligent rabbis who trained him and taught him in the ways of God and in the Old Testament so that he knew those scriptures as well as anybody, right? Poor fishermen. These were rich fishermen who owned fishing businesses. Okay, guys. Okay, so now let's go on here. And 21, and they went into Capernaum, and straight away on the Sabbath, they he entered the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So the scribes would try to show how intelligent they are by quoting other rabbis, right? They would teach, well, Rabbi Eleazar said this, Rabbi Nathan said that, Rabbi uh, you know, Saul said this, Rabbi this, Rabbi that, quote this, quote that, sound really intelligent. Jesus didn't, had no need to uh, quote the rabbis, right? Jesus quoted himself, right? Therefore, he taught them as one having authority of himself and not relying upon hundreds of years of the Jewish rabbis arguing with one another. Okay, and now we get to 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. <laughs> Did you catch that? Where was this unclean, uh, where was this man that was possessed by a demon? Was he just uh, in the street someplace? No, he was in church, right? He's in church. There's people that are possessed with Satan, with a satanic, um, demonic being. That come to church, right? People often say, well, you know, that person's a bad example for his church. Why would I want to join his church, right? The devil can do more, more good for his own self and fighting God by going to church and being a member of the church than he can outside the church. So he'll get people even possessed by a demon to go to church to, to wreak great havoc upon the church, right? And that's where Jesus found this possessed man at church, right? There'd be a lot of great lessons that could be preached in on that verse. And the, and the uh, evil spirit said, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know you who you are, the Holy One of God. Wow, right? So the demons... The demons from hell, the followers of Satan, they know perfectly well who Jesus Christ is. And what a shame it is that they know that better than a lot of people in the world today, right? A lot of people today don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. They don't believe he's the son of God. But the devil does. The devil believes it. James later on says that too, that the devil believes and he trembles at Jesus Christ, right? And here he's trembling. 
He knows that it's going to what's in front of him and his future. He knows that he's going to suffer weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in the uh, bottomless pit in the lake of fire and brimstone, however you want to describe it, from the book of Revelation. They know that that's where they're going. And so if you come to destroy us already, they're going to keep saying, he's not the first one. We're going to see that with other possessed people. They're going to say the same thing. If you come to destroy us already, if you come to the, the throw us into the, this pit of hell for forever and ever already, they're terrified of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, they always bear, bear witness of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. 25, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, so even as, even Jesus Christ commanding this evil spirit to leave him, he doesn't leave right away. He has to leave ultimately, right? He has to leave ultimately. So never be scared when you're confronted with an evil spirit to command it in the name of Jesus Christ, to leap. You might have to say it twice or three times, right? But you just say it again and again until it leaves. It has to ultimately obey. Just like it had to ultimately obey Jesus Christ, so it has to ultimately obey the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens here, right? So Jesus commands him to come out, but he still tears him and stuff, right? He still tries to injure this, this body before he comes out. He even cries with a loud voice. Then he came out of him because he has to come out. Even he wants to have a little tantrum, right? A little baby tantrum, like a little two or three-year-old here. He had, you know, he, he can do that, but he has to leave, you know. But uh, he noticed that they're even willing to fight even with Jesus doing that, right? And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. We have a lot of reports, historical sources, that there were a group of Jewish rabbis that would go around trying to cast out evil spirits in these days. There were so many people. Satan had waited 4,000 years for this day, so he made sure he marshaled all his forces to possess all the bodies they could to try to fight Jesus. That's why she's going around casting out devils and demons left and right. Even the Jewish rabbis trying to get involved to cast out evil spirits, and, and they had some limited, limited success, other times complete failure, and, and, and so forth, right? So that's why they're all astonished, saying, look, our Jewish rabbis are having a hard time with these evil spirits casting them out, but yet Jesus commands them, and they come out, right? So what, what authority commandeth he, even the unclean spirits? And they do obey him, right? Not like our Jewish rabbis are having trouble with this. They do obey Jesus. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region around about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew uh, with James and John. But Simon, Peter's wife, lay sick of a fever. And, and immediately they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and and she ministered unto them. It was complete recovery, so much so she could go prepare food for them right away, right? She was just laying sick just a minute ago. Now she's full of energy, completely healed, uh, can go get food and, and minister unto them uh, by giving them food and, and so forth. 
And that's what Jesus, you know, does for us today. He lifts us up, right? He lifts us up from our illnesses, from our trials, from our tribulations in life, just like he lifted up by the hand Simon Peter's mother. He can be there for you, lift you up as well if you just call out to our Heavenly Father and ask for their help. And at the evening time, when the sun did set, so the Jewish Sabbath, once the sun goes down, it's no longer the Jewish Sabbath. So now they don't have to worry how many steps they've taken that day, whether they, they've walked too much and are breaking the Sabbath. Also, some consider it, we'll see this later on, right? They consider it that if you get healed on the Sabbath to be wrong, right? You're breaking the Sabbath if you're being healed. On. So they wait. According to the law of Moses here, they're waiting until the sun comes down. Now they gather outside the house. Now that the sun's gone down, it's no longer the Sabbath day. Now they come asking for their healings, right? And they brought in them all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So, you know, he didn't want too much attention from these evil spirits, all proclaiming him Lord and Savior and the Son of God. They all knew that, right? It says that right here. They all knew who he was. They knew who Jesus was. He kept telling them to keep your mouth, mouth silent, right? And then not proclaim who he was. And in the morning, rising up a great while before the day. So he's up late healing all these people and casting out all these devils. Then he gets up early in the morning. <laughs> Does he have time to sleep ever, right? He didn't sleep much that night. A great while, and a great while before day, a great while before the sun came up. Uh, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there and there prayed. And Simon Peter and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go. <laughs> Watch this, right? So what a great moment, crowning moment, right? What a preacher's dream. All the city is seeking for you. They all want you to be their religious leader. They're going to start attending your religious services and listening to you preach each week in the synagogue, right? You know, uh, what what missionary, what uh, religious leader, uh, you know, would not want this to happen? Like a dream come true, right? But watch what Jesus is going to do, right? Verse 38, and he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth, right? In today's church, what do we do? We try to run it like a business. We try to set like baptismal ghosts. We're going to baptize this many people this month, right? Totally contrary to the way that Jesus Christ preached the gospel, right? Jesus didn't set baptismal ghosts. How many people is going to baptize this month? In fact, he did the complete opposite. And this is not the first time we're going to see this. Every time that the whole city wants to come unto Jesus and become, you know, his followers, what does he do? He leaves them, right? He goes to the next town, right? And here's what he's saying, right? They want to, he's looking for true converts. He wants true conversion. He doesn't want people coming to synagogue next week and coming, you know, to the church each week because they were healed by a miracle or they saw Jesus heal somebody. No. He wants true con conversion, true converts. He knew now that they were willing to come 
but because they saw these miracles, right? Later on, he's going to feed 20,000 people, 5,000 men. We assume they have wives and children there, so 20,000 going to feed him. And they all want to make him king, right? And he departs from them too, right? In fact, he says, he, he then preaches a sermon that's so offensive, they actually all leave. <laughs> instead of instead of like, oh, great, I made my baptismal goals for this month. Our, our whole mission, hey, apostles, hey, 12 of you and the 70, my whole, all the missionaries in our mission here, we just met our baptismal goals for the year. No, he says something so offensive. He calls himself the bread from heaven. He said that their, their fathers ate his body so that they were all offended and left and left him, right? The complete opposite, right? So Jesus is always doing the opposite here, right? Instead of baptismal goals and setting all these goals for your mission, he does the opposite. If there's no more people he can truly convert here, he's going to leave them. He doesn't want to bring them into the church, count them as, oh, we baptized 200 this month. No, he's not interested in that at all, is he? No, he's going to leave them. And he's not going to become their leader, their permanent leader here. He's not going to have them be his followers and set up their own synagogue. No, he's going to leave them and start preaching in other in other cities, right? Okay, 39. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and cast out devils, right? Satan was on it. Was full force. He had 4,000 years preparing for this moment. They possessed as many bodies as they could to try to fight Jesus. <clears throat> and there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you want to, you can make me clean from this leprosy. Now, watch what Jesus does here, right? 41. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. And saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Ooh, he touched the leper. The leper? He touched the leper. What did that make Jesus? Unclean. Jesus was clean, but you're not supposed to, to touch a, a, you know, a, a leper, somebody with leprosy. That makes you unclean, right? You have to go outside the camp of Israel, you know, and tell you, you know, for so many days and offer sacrifice and prove that you're clean again physically. But Jesus reached down into his uncleanness to then make him clean. And so he does with all of us. He reaches down into our sins and pulls us out of our sins. He reaches down into our dirty trials and pulls us out of our dirty trials and all these things. He touched the leper, so he touches you in your own life to heal you just as he healed the leper. And as soon as he had spoken in 42, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightway charged him, for with sent him away. And he said, you know, don't go spread it abroad, and let's baptize two or three hundred people this month, and we'll feel good and pat ourselves on the back, and maybe next week we won't see him in church here. <laughs> baptize you, you know, your two, three hundred for your mission goal, and then you don't see him Next week again, they never come. They never come back, right? <laughs> no, Jesus didn't do that, right? He had opportunity; he could have told him to, but again, that would be shallow conversion, not full conversion. They might, they might have gone to church for a couple of weeks, having heard that he healed this guy, but it would not be full conversion. Therefore, we're not interested in numbers. We're not interested in two, three hundred month baptisms, right? We're interested in full, true lifelong and eternal 
conversion. Therefore, don't preach to the people what I just did for you. Now, what does the guy do? He doesn't listen to Jesus, does he? He goes out and tells everybody what happened, right? And uh, in verse 45, but he went out and began to publish it much, not just you know, tell a few people. He was going around telling everybody, look, Jesus healed me from this leprosy. I am healed. And so what happens? They see the sign. They go after this, right? And to blaze abroad the matter in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, right? They wanted to see this miracle worker. But was without in the desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Not what Jesus wanted. He wasn't looking for his two to three hundred baptisms for the month, right? He was looking for full conversion. He didn't want those to come out because they had heard of this guy that had been healed, uh, you know, from a terrible disease. That's not conversion. Just because somebody got healed is not true conversion of your heart and soul. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for how many numbers, how many baptisms we can have this month. Okay, so that does Mark uh, chapter 1. What a wonderful chapter here. Now let's go over to Matthew. Now we're at 85 AD with Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. Okay, so in those days, then verse 1, came John the Baptist. Uh, some modern translations have John the Baptizer. I, I kind of like that. At first I didn't like it when I first heard it, right? But I kind of liked it. We're used to the King James, a lot of us, John the Baptist, but John the Baptizer. In those days came John the Baptizer preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, what? Repent ye, right? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that it was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way the Lord make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a, and a leather girdle about his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey then went out to him jerusalem and all judea just like mark told us right and all the region round about jordan and were baptized of him in jordan confessing their sins the prerequisite to baptism you confess your sins then you get baptized but when he saw many of the pharisees and the sadducees come to his baptism so not just the people like in Mark here, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees are now coming to see who is this guy that's baptizing everybody, threatening to take our followers away from us, right? He said unto them, oh, and now look how Christ-like this is here, right? This is the exact character of Jesus Christ as we're going to be seeing here in the as we proceed in the weeks to come, right? This, this exactly, and that's the way a prophet should be. He should be teaching the gospel the way that Jesus Christ did. Whenever the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes showed up, he never waited for them to first open their mouth and start talking. Jesus always started the conversation. Jesus always condemned them. Jesus always insulted them, usually with some uh, insulting uh, uh, vocabulary word, right? And here we go, John the Baptist. Before the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees can open their mouth, he said, calls them a, a, a you know calls them bad word here, just like Jesus would do, and Jesus did, and Jesus w still would to any false religious leader. Oh, generation of vipers! Oh, you snakes! Right, generation of vipers! 
who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Don't just come out here pretending you're religious, you know, and you're going to maybe get baptized to show that you're so religious. No, I want to see true repentance. I want to see true conversion of your heart. And don't think to say within yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father, right? Uh, for I say unto you, as the GST says here, that, that, that you know, that they say that uh, we have Abraham as our father, but, you know, we keep the commandments ourselves, right? They're priding themselves how well they're keeping the law of Moses, all the things that they're supposed to do, as well as the things that are prohibited. For I say unto you that God himself is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. If, Jesus, if God really wanted to, he could take these stones and create them to be the children of Abraham. Therefore, don't think you're you know so great because Abraham's your father. Don't think you're so great because your 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 father or your grandpa was an apostle or your great grandpa or your great 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 or your ancestors were pioneers. Don't think that that's not gonna save you, right? It's interesting and they set good examples for you and you should be grateful for that privilege and opportunity you had and you should follow in their footsteps, right? But you're not gonna be saved because Abraham was your father, right? And now also in verse 10, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. The axe is right there, laying on the, you know, the to the side of the ready to cut it down, right? Therefore, every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, who's he saying this to? Here in Matthew, he's saying this to the religious leaders. To the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's already accused them just like Jesus. This is exactly Jesus Christ, right? We're gonna see this with Jesus Christ, right? This is <laughs> Jesus, right? If you if if you didn't know, if they didn't say John, if they didn't specify this was John the Baptist, you would think this is Jesus here, right? This is exactly how Jesus dealt with these people, right? And uh, so you know, first he's he's already questioned their conversion, right? I want to see you bring forth, you know, true. Uh, uh, fruit to, to prove that you're fully converted to the Lord. Now, you know, he calls them bad name, you know, a generation of vipers, you know, generation of snakes. Now he's threatening them, just like Jesus would do, that the axe is laid to the root of the tree. We're going to start cutting down the bad, false religious leaders, right? And then cast them into the fire. Not just cut them down, but then cast them into the fire. Represent again this, you know, the eternal fire, the uh, the eternal pit of hell, and and all, all the the uh, you know the lake of fire and brimstone. All these things from the Book of Revelation. I, John the Baptist, indeed baptize you with water into repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to hear to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. And Jesus will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. That real Jesus, again, remember the real Jesus, we looked at that several times in the Old Testament, is not the false Jesus that they're preaching in the newspapers and in, in the public square uh, today that goes around that just loves you and just always just tolerant of you always just loves 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 everybody right loves the wicked loves this wicked group loves that wicked group loves those who fight against god loves those who are wicked and perverse 
you know, just loves, loves red. Not, no, no, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. We saw that all last year in the Old Testament. Pull up pretty much any of those 52 videos at random. You'll see the real Jesus. Here we're going to see the real Jesus this year in the New Testament. The real Jesus goes around burning the wicked. He goes around cutting them in half, you know, all the things that he threatened to do. Remember one of the final things he said in Malachi. Remember he said he's going to take human waste and wipe it all over the <laughs> all over the wicked, right? That's before he burns them in fire, right? Here he's going to purge, you know, he's going to burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him. So we get the dialogue here, which you don't have in Mark or Luke. I have need to be baptized of thee, of you, and yet you're coming to me? You know, I, you, should, you should baptize me, you know. Well, why are you coming to me to be baptized? I've already been proclaiming you. I've already been telling everybody that you're mightier than me. Why would you come to me to get baptized? And Jesus answered and said, Suffer it so to be now, for thus it becometh us, all of us, all of God's children, right, to be to fulfill all righteousness. So then John suffered or allowed him to be baptized. The GST, you know, they went into the water. Let me make that point clear. And uh, so if Jesus Christ needed to be baptized by John, who, hold, who held the priesthood and had the authority of God to perform such baptisms, so that the baptism would be counted both on heaven, you know, on the earth and in heaven. So how much more needful and, and need do we have to be baptized and go and seek out, even if we have to go to the River Jordan, to seek out those who hold this priesthood and authority of God to baptize in the name of God, right? So therefore, once again, we invite those of you who are not yet members of the church to reach out to the missionaries. We're going to put a link in the description of this video. Just click on that link. Let the missionaries know you're ready to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And just as he was baptized by John in the River Jordan, going under the water and coming back out, so do you want to follow the steps of Jesus Christ and become a baptized member of his kingdom as you follow his great example to be baptized now you understand the importance of baptism and that you need to be baptized as well if you want to have any chance at all to return to live with him in our heavenly father's kingdom in the world to come and jesus when he here we go 16 and jesus when he was baptized went up straight away out of the water because he'd gone down under the water he didn't have a priest come along and just dabble some water on top of his head. That's not baptism. Baptism, you have to have your whole body covered. And you need to be old enough to be able to make a covenant with God that you're willing to take upon yourselves the name of Jesus Christ and that you're going to be a witness of him and that you're going to go forward to keep his commandments. A baby cannot do that. A baby doesn't even know what's going on when the priest sprinkles a little water on their head. They may have good intention. Unfortunately, you're not saved by good intentions. You're saved by following the word of God and the Bible and what the Bible teaches on these, this subject. Okay, straight away, uh, out of the water and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, here we go once again, right? He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove. And lighting upon Jesus, right? They come down, they're in the 
in this aerial vehicle. It's above Jesus. Then Jesus, remember, goes up into it, and they fly off and take Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. And lo, a voice from heaven or the skies saying, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Then they go off and Jesus spends 40 days with his heavenly father in the wilderness and Satan keeps trying to tempt him during that time. So we see that at the beginning of chapter four. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit, right? Physical thing here, right? Spirit can't lead him up, right? <laughs> Holy Ghost, unfortunately, cannot lead Jesus out into the wilderness. There when, then, was, uh, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Okay, and so then, uh, so that does St. Matthew's uh, version of this uh, baptism. Now let's go look at Luke chapter 3. Okay, Luke chapter 3, and so he sets the, uh, Luke to trying to be the historian here, trying to set the uh, time period of this, uh, the uh, 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and uh, he's saying, you know, who the religious leaders were at the time, Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the one was the father-in-law of the other, and he served as high priest first, and the other one followed along. Uh, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. So now Luke takes the, the, the story because he doesn't know Matthew, right? He doesn't know Matthew. Matthew and Luke are two independent sources. They both know Mark. They don't know each other, right? Matthew was, already, was written before Luke anyways. He could not have known Luke. But Luke does not know Matthew, right? They know that Matthew and Luke know Mark, and they know the Gospel of Q, and they have other sources they're working with as well. Uh, but but Luke does not know Matthew, right? If Luke knows Matthew, he would have John the Baptist speaking to the religious leaders, calling them the generation of vipers, as we just saw in Matthew. That would be the historical uh, 100% accuracy of what happened. Jesus, John the Baptist, just as Jesus would have done in that same situation, in that same place, went after the false religious leaders. He did not go after the people that were coming unto them, uh, unto him to be baptized of John the Baptist. But Luke here has heard some story about this thing. He's got some source, but now it's moved to now John speaking to all the people, calling them generation of vipers. John the Baptist would not call the non-religious leaders, the true saints of God that are coming to uh, transform their lives, to repent of their sins, he would not call those good-hearted people, you know, snakes and vipers and these things. Neither would Jesus Christ. Whenever Jesus is insulting the people, he's not insulting the people. He's insulting these false religious leaders, right? Keep that in mind as you read this. So again, Luke, doing his best, but he's writing in 90 AD, long after these events, 
Jesus been Jesus has been dead for sixty years by the time Luke comes on. Luke didn't even know Jesus, right? So you know he's he's uh, you know life way back here. So we're, a lot of years past the Jesus now, sixty plus years. Luke's doing his best. He's working with these sources. He's trying his best. He's praying. I'm sure he's asking for you know help and the inspiration to to put together this gospel of Luke. But um, where John the Baptist now, then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized to him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He did not say that to the people. He said that to the religious leaders, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, again, not to the people. Keep this in mind. Saying this to the Pharisees and the Sadducee leaders here. Don't say we have Abraham to our father, for I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, every false religious teacher, therefore spring of not forth good fruit, is going to be hewn down and cast into the fire. Uh, we'll see in Matthew 7 when we get there. Uh, they're going to come up to Jesus and say an appeal to Jesus as the chief judge after they've been consigned to go to hell and to be cast out of the kingdom of God. They're going to come up to Jesus and under and an appeal process and say, but Jesus, in your name we preached. In your name we did miracles. We healed the sick. We did all these miracles and we preached in your name. Then Jesus will say, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Depart from me, I never knew you. So the uh, bringing not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the eternal uh, fire where there would be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and saith unto him, Unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Now, the, again, these are to the religious leaders who are enriching themselves by preaching the gospel. Therefore, they have meat and abundance to eat. They have two coats. The general people he's talking to that are coming to get baptized in, they don't have two coats, right? They, they're they struggling to get their meat, right? In verse 12, then came also the publicans, the tax collectors, to be baptized. And they said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, don't exact more than that which is appointed you, right? So they already know how much Rome wants to tax the people. So they need to at least collect that. But then they need to make a profit, right? So they would then make the people pay even more tax so that they could profit on the difference between what they needed to turn around and give to Rome and and uh, and what they actually collected from the people, right? So he's saying don't don't exact more than that which is appointed to you, you know. Yeah, we understand you should make some profit here, right? But let's keep this, you know, within you know, within proper bounds, right? Don't, don't uh, you know, make yourselves too rich doing this. You, you can have a successful career being a tax collector here, but don't rob the people. And the soldiers also coming to be baptized, right? Gentiles, right? Gentiles coming to be baptized here. And they said, what do we do? And he said unto them, don't do violence to him. Don't just go around. You know, kicking people, hitting them, hitting them with sticks. You know, uh, don't any, don't accuse any falsely. 
and be content with your wages. Don't complain that you're not making enough, right? You've, uh, you know, you've got some wages here. God's provided you a job here, even if you're in the army, provided you a job. Don't complain about your wages. 15, and as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or Messiah or not. So they start to wonder, is he the Messiah? John answered right away. I didn't come to tell personal stories about myself and, and preach the, the gospel of John rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I came to tell stories about Jesus Christ and preach his in his name, right? I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge the floor. We saw this already in Matthew, and he will gather the wheat into his garter. But the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached the end to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's Phil's wife. So he took his own brother's wife now, and he's committing adultery with her, and, and she's now living with him. And so John the Baptist, you know, condemned him, right? That's adultery, you know, Herod, that's adultery, right? And so he got all upset, and it ends up arresting John the Baptist because of that. His brother Phil's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. Watch this in Luke here in 20. Added yet this above all, right? You know, notwithstanding the fact that he's already committing adultery and he's done all kinds of other evils, but now he's even above all of that. Now he's even shut up John in, in prison, right? Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. Here we go. And the Holy Ghost descended in a body. Physical. Well, guess what? The Holy Ghost does not have a body. He's a personage of spirit. Therefore, John could not see uh, the Holy Ghost descending in a body and, and coming about, uh, you know, and, and stopping above above Jesus, uh, hovering above Jesus, right? He could not see such a thing. He's trying to make it here, doing the best he can. He's saying, look, it's in a, it was in a body shape. It had a physical body, right? We know this is it was not a is not a dove, right? They keep saying it, you know, it was like a dove. It wasn't a dove. Right? It was a physical object that had a physical substance to it that came down and flew like the dove coming down for a landing, right? Not the not an actual dove. <laughs> Some people think it was an actual dove. They're very clear. They keep trying to make it, you know, very clear that it's like a dove, like like it flew. Like a dove. It flew like a dove. We don't know what it was. We don't have the vocabulary 2,000 years ago to, to really describe it. So all we can say is, well, uh, I, you know, clearly it was the power of God. <laughs> Everybody else I know in my village, they, they don't have these kinds of spaceships flying around in the, in the heavens, right? So clearly it's the power of God. So, so it's the spirit of God coming down, you know, flying like, a, like we're used to seeing a dove flying around. You know, and it came down here. And then the voice came from the skies out of this object. Thou art my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. 
Okay, so there's the baptism of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I mean, uh, yeah, because last week we covered John's version of the baptism. And then this week we did Matthew, uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke in the order in which they were uh, written. And I think we'll continue that the way going forward, that when there are these uh, um, stories that are taught by all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we'll go with the historical order of Mark first, then Matthew, then Luke. So what a mighty day this has been. You've all received um, several invitations to come unto Jesus Christ, to become a baptized member of his church and kingdom upon the earth by with those who hold the priest and authority of God. So we just invite you, you know, on behalf of Jesus Christ, if he were here today, he would also issue you the invitation to go forward and be baptized in his name, take his name upon you and begin to make covenant with him that you're going to keep his commandments. Reach out to the missionaries through the link provided in the description of this video. Let them know you're ready to uh, to move forward with your spiritual life, to come unto Jesus Christ, and they will help you through the process. For those of you found in activity in the church, we welcome you with wide open arms to come back, come back to be members with the saints and the community of God, where we can each share and help bear one another's burdens and, uh, and be a part of the mighty, wonderful things that are going on in his church and kingdom as we continue to prepare the world for the forthcoming Savior Jesus Christ to come forward uh, from the, uh, as the scripture teach from the, the clouds, his flying clouds, from the clouds of heaven to proclaim himself King of Kings and Lord of Lords and reign with us for 1,000 years during the great millennium uh, kingdom here upon the earth that's not very far away at this point of time. Could almost literally happen almost at any minute. There's still a few things that need to take place, so we're probably still a few years at least. But these things are coming. They're coming quick, quickly. We are to go forward and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, share the gospel with each other the best we can, always focusing on Jesus Christ, not on ourselves, not on our own merits, not on our own accomplishments, but Jesus Christ. And him who was crucified for the sins of the world, of him we testify and witness to the whole world this day. For those of you who followed along and have made it to the end of this video, we ask God's blessings to be upon you. May you go forward with the spirit of God that you felt today. May your testimonies burn brighter and brighter. May you have greater faith in him. May you understand his love for you, that as you keep his commandments to the best of your ability, that not only do you increase your love towards him, but he increases and shows greater love towards you as you both come together. He desires to bless you with all things that he hath. There is no greater blessing he can give to anybody than all that he, the mighty God of heaven and earth, possesses. Let us go forth and lay claim to these blessings, these promises, and they shall be ours. Of him we testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.